This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Eves. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Habitat Podcast, where we become better habitat managers by listening and learning every single week. I'm your host, Jared Van Eves, and I want to thank you all for coming back once again. This is a podcast today with William Spaulding from Philippe Camo. Now, if you guys remember, uh, back in October is actually when we recorded this, and uh, I wanted to get it launched because we talk about a bunch of cool stuff over at Philippe, how the story of uh, this company came to be, talk about William, his upbringing, uh, you know, what deer hunting is like in Tennessee, talk about base layers and camouflage clothing a lot, uh, ozone being sent free, and also some new stuff they're working on in 2020, which is pretty exciting, um, as, as well as uh, some old stories about getting pulled over by the cops, bow hunting, and, and things like that. So we really had an interesting conversation with William about conservation um, and just, you know, his thoughts and, and our thoughts on, on our versions of habitat management. So stick around, guys. We have William Spaulding from Philippe Camo. That's T-H-L-E-T-E, athlete without the A. And uh, we rocked some of this camo this year, and we were pretty impressed. So I want to make sure I mention, for everybody who does not know, you can find all of our podcast episodes along with some pretty cool-looking Habitat podcast hats and decals, all at HabitatPodcast.com. So if you guys have a minute, we'd love it if you went over there and checked us out on there. We have a discount going for gear right now, Loyal 10. We'll get you 10% off any hat or decal on there, and there is free shipping with every order. So 
Be sure to go on and help support the podcast, if you don't mind, at HabitatPodcast.com. I'd also like to thank a couple recent review listeners. The first one from our friend Michael Atchison. Mike says, As a Michigan native and disabled veteran, coming home can be a challenge. Hunting and land management has been my go-to for stress management and pure enjoyment. I can listen to your podcast while on the go or at work, and I enjoy every minute of it. Puts me in a great mood listening to the kind of topics discussed on your podcast. Keep it up. Michael, thank you very much, and thanks for reaching out on Facebook. We love chatting with you about your property and the plans you have going into 2020. Another one here we have from Nevin. If you're looking for an informative podcast, this is exactly what you need to listen to. These guys bring in and speak to some of the best minds in the industry and have hour-long conversations with them that pack years of experience into a fun and engaging discussion. I've been absolutely flying through the episodes to catch up, to be up to date, and it never gets old, even after listening for a few hours straight. This is one of the best podcasts I've listened to, and I highly recommend it. Keep up the great work, guys. Evan and Michael, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for those awesome reviews on the Habitat Podcast iTunes. Uh, you can review us on the podcast app on your Apple phones, guys. I will be sending out free details to both of you. Thank you so much for doing that. If anybody else wants to leave us a great review on iTunes, please feel free. Make sure you put your name so I can find you on Facebook or social media. I'll get a free detail sent out. I'd like to thank Nick Nation and the Habitat Hook for sponsoring this episode. You guys have heard us talk to Nick before on a, a previous episode. That episode is actually episode number 18. And we're going to have him back on again soon. Nick had some recent success this year on a nice buck on his 10-acre property. And uh, his property is covered up in hinge cuts from the Habitat Hook. Now, if you like to hinge cut, which it is an, an effective practice, you just have to know what you're doing do a lot of research on it, make sure you're doing it correctly and safely. But it doesn't work for every property. Uh, here in Michigan, we do like to use it uh, based on the pressure we have. And Nick invented this tool called the Habitat Hook. Now, what this does is it gives you some leverage when you're pushing the tree over from, you know, the ground. You cut partway through the tree and you put the hook way up on the trunk of the tree and you help push the tree over. What this does, it allows the cambium layer to remain more intact on the tree. You don't have to cut through the tree as far before you push it over. And this helps the tree survive the hinge cut and stay alive more. More flow through that uh, attached part of the tree yet from using the habitat hook. I uh, will not hinge cut without this. Um, it actually helps you direct the tree exactly where you want it to fall as well. Uh, it's just... It's an amazing tool. It's the best I've ever used. And uh, Nick is the sponsor of the podcast. So, guys, check him out. It's a great Christmas gift. might be something you want to hint at your wives about. Uh, nationscreations.net or the Habitat Hook on Facebook. I use the aluminum model. And lastly, guys, I want to thank Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. We did a cool video over at MWP recently. Uh, we checked in with all the different hunters on opening day or rifle season all over the state, you know, 10 or 11 different spots. The UP all the way down to southern Michigan. We checked in the morning and evening hunts. This is a pretty cool video uh, we just launched up there on the MWP YouTube. All these videos are free, guys. If you want to watch some content at work on your lunch break, feel free to check out michiganwhitetailpursuit.com. Okay, guys, let's get William Spaulding from Thalit Camel on the line. We're going to talk uh, lots of camouflage, lots of conservation, 
some habitat work. All right, everybody, we're back with another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have William Spaulding on the line, along with our co-host, Brian. How you doing tonight, William? Yeah, outstanding. How about yourself, guys? I'm not doing too bad. Brian, how about you? You, you shot a deer a couple hours ago. Yeah, doing pretty good. Took a doe in southwest Pennsylvania here about 6 p.m. Awesome. What was the weather out? You don't mind me asking, what was the weather like? We did, we're down in Tennessee, and it's been it's been hotter than Dickens down here. I want to say we were pushing 95 degrees today. Oh, wow. Yeah, it got up uh, a little bit warmer than they had forecasted. It was in the high 60s today, but it's cooled off again now that the sun's gone down. Not bad. Well, that's not too bad. I know uh, we have a nice cold front coming this weekend, so how about you, William? Is the time going to drop on Saturday for you guys, or...? It's Saturday and Sunday. We have some a little rain in the forecast, but it's supposed to drop down. I think the low on Saturday for us is going to be like in the 30s, which will be nice. Nice. Uh, we've not had any cold weather, and we've not had any rain for the last 30 to 45 days or so. Um, and oh, it's actually yeah. put a pretty hard impact. We've been trying to get seed in the ground for our cool season plots, and uh, we've actually been holding off because the ground's just so dang hard right now that we didn't want to put it in there and have for fear it's going to die. And it's actually getting to the point now where we're pushing closer and closer into that window. They always say you want to get, what is it, like 30 to 45 days before first frost. And so for us, we're going to get hit with a frost probably mid-November in middle Tennessee. So now that we're in uh, October, is it October 8th or 9th today? So. Yeah, for us, we got to get the seed in the ground ASAP if we want to have anything material uh, post that frost. Yeah, you're not kidding. Um, I mean, 30 to 45 days drought, that's that's tough. Are you guys seeing any EHD or anything down there? Uh, we've not been hit with EHD. Uh, we had some die uh, last year with EHD, surprisingly. wasn't hit big, but we definitely had some. We found a... I want to say seven or eight bucks that were in our ponds and in around the streams, and we're fairly convinced it was EHD. Okay. Um, but we've not had any this year, uh, keeping our fingers crossed. But um, we have a lot of water on our farm, but not much standing water. We have a lot of creeks that flow through and whatnot. And so uh, we've been fortunate thus far, so knock on wood. Very cool, very cool. Well, before we get uh, too far into the the property and, and the habitat stuff. I want to hear about who is William Spaulding, where are you from, what did you grow up doing, what are you doing now. You know, give us a little a little history and background if you don't mind. It's kind of one of my favorite parts. We get to learn about our guests and uh, get some pretty cool stories out of it. So go ahead and go if, yeah. if you're ready. Yeah, so um, I'm actually from, uh, out of Atlanta, born and raised in Georgia. Uh, was actually grew up hunting, started hunting when I was at the age of four or five in uh, South Georgia, if you're familiar, Lee County, Sumner County, in that area. And uh, we've always, my family, we've leased land for the longest time in Alabama. And then uh, we did some public land hunting. And then I was fortunate enough, my family was fortunate enough to start owning some land. And so we had a small farm in South Georgia that I learned to hunt on. We did the food plots and everything there. And then over time, we've just kind of gotten more and more into this thing. Now, we've, I've moved all around, went to school, ended up working in, in healthcare uh, for the longest time. And uh, that just was a crazy world if you've ever worked in healthcare. 
And so I was running around with a hospital company doing, you know, all over the country, just kind of beating the bushes on everything we could to keep rural hospitals alive. And so I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, you know, we're doing so much work, so much effort going into this when all I think about is when am I going to get my food pots in the ground? When am I going to get stands up? When am I going to do this in the woods? You know, my whole passion is, the wo- is being in the woods. You know, I love walking in the deer stand. I love when you look up at the sky in the dark. There's just an energy out there for me that uh, most people don't understand. You guys probably get it. Oh, yeah. Uh, for sure. And so when when I got the opportunity, I was like, I'm done with this. You know, let's, let's go do something what you're passionate about. And uh, if you're super passionate, if you're super hardcore, you're super into it, it's going to bleed over. Your customers are going to see that. Everyone's going to feel that. And uh, I always said, if you're passionate about what you do, you never really work a day in your life. Now, and so we've been looking with my, the company I formed. We're trying to acquire other brands. And so we stumbled across Fleet. And Fleet was an acquisition for us about 90 to 110 days ago. Uh, we wanted to do an investment in Fleet, and the, the owner of the business, who's still kind of in a partnership with us as we kind of do this transition, but he wanted to do a full sellout, and so we said, absolutely, that, that's what you want to do. We're, we're believers in the brand. We believe you have a superior product, and we'll, we'll, if you want to part ways or kind of sell the company, we'll, we'll continue to throw it on. And so with that, we, we closed on the acquisition with Fleet in July, and so uh, – We've been running it ever since and trying to do this transition. We've been working diligently. But it's been uh, it's been tenfold amount of work. <laughs> uh, just with the timing of getting all the work done on our farm, getting everything ready for the season, and then with getting our arms around fleet and just making sure it gets the love and support that it needs. Um, it's just been a ton of work. But it's been so much fun. I mean, so much fun. Uh, when you think about, like, just, you know, you spend your days getting your, uh, what you know, what kind of designs? How can you help your hunters out? How can you help your customers out? What do you want to do? How can you do it better? Uh, I always dreamed about this. When you think about, like, everyone has their inputs of what they want to do or how you're going to do it, I actually get to do it. And it's just so much fun. I, uh, it, it's the best job in the world. Wow, that's awesome. I, I mean, I we understand about, about the passion thing there's there's no doubt about that we're you know doing doing this whole podcast thing and, and growing this and all all out of in our spare time you know that's pretty awesome that you were able to make that transition and and get to something that, that you love to do every day and, and you're passionate about very cool so prior to uh to all this when did you get introduced to the woods habitat work uh the the family outdoors lifestyle that we always, you know, think about and try to so, instill in our kids and all that. Yeah, so when I was, I was probably five, six, or seven, um, we leased land next to a uh, a very, 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 very. I can't, I can't exaggerate how large of a farm this was. Um, that was owned by, I'm not gonna say the day, but it was a celebrity couple, and. Uh, they had Dr. Kroll as their deer manager, and occasionally you would you would stumble across him out there uh, doing his books and everything. But he entered, he gave me a book when I was like seven or eight, and so I bought the, I had the book, 
I ended up buying two others. There was three books that he had, if I remember. Uh, there's one that's just on food plots. There's one on deer strategy, and then there's one on land management. There were his, like, three books. They were more like, I want to say they're sub 80 pages, maybe 100 pages. I actually did book reviews on them when I was in middle school. Teacher nice. thought I was crazy. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, so we, we started experimenting with food plots, and that was just the whole thing was you got to have your run food plots, as he said. Um, he didn't get into the whole necessity. We never had stress periods in South Georgia. Uh, we were an ag country, and so we weren't really concerned about that. And, you know, the deer never really had a shortage of food, so to speak. Um, but they did have was the, the necessity to have uh, high-quality protein, high-quality food. And so we got into – we started off doing, let's say, iron and clay cow peas. And we actually did – I remember one time, just for fun, we ended up spending a ton of money on this, but we did a whole field, probably like a 10-acre food plot, in uh, black-eyed peas. The deer loved it. Really? <laughs> it was the most, it was the most awesome food plot. Uh, super expensive. I want to say we spent a ton of <laughs> on the seed. Totally not worth it. Uh but it was just something cool. So we, we started doing that, all these That's a new one for us right there. That's the a new one. Yeah. The different beans. Yeah, you can use the different peas. Uh, we started incorporating it and uh, just got into it. I mean, we fell hard into it. We got into the supplemental feeding. We started doing protein feed down there. But it was hard for us. So we, we both had – I was in school. We lived in Atlanta. Our farm was in South Georgia. It was more of like a weekend warrior uh, and then when you can get off type on the school type front uh, for us. And so it became difficult. You can't like – those are that's a full-time job. And so we spent every waking moment. I never went to a party in high school. Um, it was just every weekend. You get done with football on Fridays and go down that night before and get ready for the whole weekend, whether it was hunting season or food plot season. It's a year-round activity. Anyone that says it didn't, you know, they understand it. But did shed hunting in the winter, playing food plots in the springs, playing food plots in the late summer, and then when you're hunting, it it is a year-round activity. I would say it's a it's a long-distance run game for when you're hunting deer, because you will see the effects of your work in the subsequent years. It's not something you can see the immediate gratification. You'll see more deer because you just draw more deer in, but to see the improvements at the actual deer level, the population level, you don't see that until like two or three years down the road. Uh, but it was so cool. I remember one year we had the game warden come over, and he's like, you know, your neighbor shot a 480-pound deer. He's what? like, you know, that's insane. And I said, and he goes, I just had to come over and tell you guys because the only reason that deer weighs 480 pounds it's just from eating all the stuff you got guys going on over here. And oh, so wow. we're like, it was just, it was just a cool thing. But it's, you know, that's the type of stuff that gets you really excited when you start seeing deer. They're just so fattened up, uh, and they're just so comfortable on your land. You're not over hunting it. You're just doing the exact amount of hunting pressure that warrants for that land. I think we had, a, you know, it was like a hundred acre property. It wasn't a large farm. And so you couldn't overhunt it, you couldn't underhunt it, and so you had to really balance the pressure with the, the deer and the food plots and make sure you had the right wind direction. But when you were able to get out in the woods and have the right wind and everything, it was just, it was awesome. You, I can't tell you enough how, you know, how much it changed me forever. Now, how far was that property from uh, Atlanta, William? 
Uh, I want to say it's 162 miles, if I remember correctly. Okay. Are you familiar with the um, Seek One guys that do the filming around Atlanta? Oh, my gosh. That's Yeah, I am. I'm familiar with them. Because uh, when you say a 400-pound deer, I mean, most people would think, well, Georgia has 400-pound deer, but people see those videos, and it's 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 very believable. It, uh, the cool thing, though, is uh, most people to South Georgia, where I hunted, uh, actually ran. The population got so depleted in the 70s um, that they brought down tons of deer from Wisconsin. Okay. And so where we hunted exactly, I would say we had more of a northern strain deer than a southern strain deer. And so we actually ended up having like two or three different ruts because the northern deer seemed to go into rut earlier in the year. Right. And then and then the more southern deer would go into rut later in the year. And wow. so it's kind of like a longer period. But no, the deer that the, those guys are killing, I used to run when I lived in Atlanta, so I know the area pretty well. I would go running in the Chattahoochee, like there was like a forest park, running park area in there. You could go for a run in the morning, and you could see 180, 190-inch deer just kind of roam and eating grass around. They were, they were more like, I hate to say they were more like pets, but like they were not afraid of humans. And so you could go out and see them and run around. But never in my mind, did it ever cross my mind to think, why don't I just go set up a bow stand, sit in the yard, like, I'd be more fearful that, like, someone would call the police on me or something. But sure, <laughs> they've definitely worked it out. they got an awesome thing going on down there. Absolutely. So after you kind of had all that instilled in your blood, um, where did that take you next? I mean, you grew up doing all that, and then went to school, went to the, the healthcare side of things, got back into okay. where you're at now. Is there anything we missed and all that in between? Uh, I went to the Citadel, was into the Citadel, uh, was set to go in the military and do that whole route, but I ended up, I got a bad heart, or I was diagnosed with a bad heart condition, ended up getting three heart surgeries, uh, three ablations. Oh, wow. And they, they prevented me from going and doing the military thing. Um, and so I ended up, that, that's what kind of pivoted me. I was all into the motivational type things, if you want to say that. Sure. And, um, it was fun. It was, I loved the city. It was a great, great experience. I would say it was the best worst decision in my life. When I was there, I hated it. The minute you graduate, you think it's like, oh, man, the coolest thing ever. But it, it, it sucked when I was there. But And, uh, and after I thought, it was, it was an awesome experience. I learned so much there. You can't be more thankful for everything that was given to me there. Um, but, no, you know, once I went left the Citadel and then went the professional route, it was harder and harder uh, to make time for getting in the woods. It's just something that, you know, I was very fortunate as a young child with my dad and my family. We had a great relationship and how we built our farm and did everything together. And then I got married and I had a son and that now I have a daughter too. And it became harder and harder to, with a professional life and in this day and age, you just you're always on the road. You're always working. Just finding ways to set aside time, uh, and what time I could set aside to get in the woods with them and to show them everything and to have them experience the same thing that I was experiencing. Uh, it was hard, and it was it was hard on me. You know, it's not like the 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 amount of time that I want them to experience in the woods wasn't what I was able to give them, and so that's where I was like it drained on me. So I was like, what do we got to do? What do I have to do? And so then I was like, 
trying to find ways to get into the outdoor industry, and I was like, I just got to – you just got to do it. Just got to make that decision, get into it, find a way to get into it, and then just be successful. There's no turning back there's now. No, so, yeah, there's no failing. Uh, there's no failing now, but that that's the best thing about it. So I can, you know, I can take my son out there. I can show him everything. I, I always say it's equally. I want to show my daughter. She's got to be a huntress. That's so important to me. <laughs> um, so that they, they get the same experiences that was afforded to me. Uh, it's so crucial that people teach their kids how to do this stuff. Uh, there's so much to learn. Yeah. And so much just uh, wisdom, I would say, that you gain from just not being in the woods. Like if you just went to the woods, you wouldn't. But just the the people that are there, the people that are enjoying these activities, the things that you do, um, there's a collective sense of the camaraderie and the the, the I don't know, the spirit, I guess. Spirit of the wild, right? Ted Nugent on you, spirit of the wild, but that that's what comes out of this. Right. Absolutely. Well, you, it's funny you say that, and and back to your, your comment earlier about, uh, you know, about being obsessed with this type of stuff growing up. I mean, actually, in my ninth grade speech class, I did a, I did a, let's see, who was my, who was the person I looked up to? I picked Ted Nugent. And people started laughing. I'm not kidding you. And, I mean, knowing what I know now, I still support the Nuge, Michigan boy, all that. Um, I would probably dial it back just a tad. But he, he's a big advocate of what we do in our sport, and I cannot hate on him for that. And But back then, I mean, I was ate up with the stuff just like you're talking about. And that, that spirit of the wild, I mean, I didn't want to do anything but hunt every single weekend. And I'm talking from when I was in 7th, 8th grade, and... If I can hopefully get my my daughters and my son to do that same type of thing, that's, that's all I want in life, really. And but like you said, professional life, young kids, um, you know, put food on the table, everything else. There's there's not enough time in the day. I I totally understand what you're saying. Let alone complete habitat work on a property somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's insane. So let me ask you guys this. You guys are up north or in the Midwest type area. So what do you, what do you guys do? Um, I don't even know. Like what you know, I've I've heard your podcast before, but what kind of what kind of lands, what kind of setups are you guys running for uh, from from your habitat point of view? Yeah, so I'm up in uh, southern Michigan. I own. I purchased back in I think it was 17, a small parcel, 15 acres. And uh, so I do all my habitat work on on that small 15 acres, which works out for me because it's affordable. It's it's manageable in terms of time. I mean, kind of in terms of time. Like I I don't have I literally do not have time to go do 10 acres of food plots um, on you know like a hundred acre farm or 200 acre farm. I wish I had that problem where I where I had to put that much time in, but I don't. So this is affordable, and I'm getting my feet wet, and I'm learning. Um, and that's kind of where I started. Brian, go ahead. Yeah, currently I have uh, 40 acres in northeast Ohio. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just outside of the city, in a small, small uh, rural, you know, suburb-type town. But uh, it's only about an hour and a half from my house. Uh, like Jared said, it was affordable, and 40 acres keeps me pretty busy. I'm in ag country. It's all corn and bean country up there, so 
the deer have a lot of places to hide and they get fed very well all year so yeah it's just uh something that's manageable with the family and the finances so that's that's how we make it work yeah i i've talked to more guys that are kind of in your same boat <laughs> and for us and everything that we put our business around with fleet we're in the same category like you got a factor in you know fleet our brand our mission is solely focused on the whitetail deer hunter we're not you know our brand our camouflage our deer yes i'll let it translates well into out west properties you know you can you don't need to wear it you can go hiking in it like it's just it's a good it's good gear but we're focused on the whitetail hunter and there's so many things that are layered in to be successful with a whitetail hunter I can't tell you to go dump a thousand bucks like a Sitka system into your gear because you've got your budget, you've got your time, and you got to build, you know, maximize what I think is available. Like I bought the Sitka and I've sold the Sitka. I bought the Kuyu, I bought and sold the Kuyu, and like they got really good stuff. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna diss that. They've done an outstanding job, but they built a business on. Uh, West hunting, where they're predominantly hunting on public lands uh, for elk, mule deer, sheep, mm-hmm. and they're not having to deal with the habitat construction. Uh, I don't know what the stat is, but I know it's a large number. That's majority of whitetail are hunted on private land, leased land. Uh, I wish there was more access to public lands or people more open to give you more public access to other hunting lands, but. Uh, for some reason, east of the Mississippi, for the most part, most people have learned to monetize their land ownership through the verb, verbiage of leasing their lands for whatever reason. That's just the reality. And so people have to factor in these all these extra dollars on top of that. Uh, and then now with the advent of food plots and the proven success of food plots and the need to do it year-round, uh, just to be competitive, whether it's drawing deer in, deer need food cover water. Well, a lot of po- folks are now putting in food plots year round. They're building cover vegetation. Uh, was it like Egyptian weed? I think that's what we did way back in the day. We don't really have that issue right now with our current farm. Uh, but, you know, that runs 80 to 120 pounds for a 50 pound bag. Um, and then folks are also running water. If you don't have, you know, water sources on your farms, I know people that are digging troughs in the ground right. and putting water. And, I mean, that's a proven strategy. It's actually quite successful. Where they put troughs in the ground, they'll fill it every, you know, couple weeks or so. And, you know, it's a great source. If you don't have water, uh, deer need water. And if it's convenient and it's uh, conveniently located to where their routes are and how they're moving, it's actually very successful. But these are all things that are stacked upon the deer hunter's, quote, unquote, budget that they got to work within. And so when we set out to do fleet, we knew that it had to fit within the parameters. And so we had to build effective gear. Have to be, you know, has to be effective. I will not build something substandard. Uh, but there's ways to lower your costs uh, and then pass those costs on to the end user. I'm not going to build some, you know, fashionista type brand that is high end to the high end, you know, that's just not going to be – it's not going to translate well to the deer owner. And so we've worked very diligently to keep costs as low as possible. 
and then pass the cost on to the consumer uh, so that you can get a high-function garment that works within your budget uh, that isn't like, you know, 100 systems, you know, you don't have a system for day one, a system for day two, a system for day four. Like, the system should complement itself that works the entire season so that you stay warm because that's what matters. you got to stay warm so you can stay out in the woods as long as possible. And when you're when the opportunity arises, you're not going to blow the shot because you're cold, because the wind's blowing, or for whatever reason, you're blown because of scent. You know, there's so many factors blown in, you know, factored into this that you got to you got to take it all into consideration. Yeah, and then sure. and then when you layer that onto what's ahead of us uh, in terms of what other companies doing, like we just knew it's an uphill battle, but there's a huge opportunity out there. Uh, and we're super excited to where this goes from here and how we're going to do it. But uh, the deer hunters have there's 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 a blue ocean out there, and so we're super excited about where this is going to go, what we can do, and what value we can get for the deer hunters out there. Yeah, that's that's one thing I noticed right away when I became introduced to your website is the, the reasonable prices that you had. I mean, you're you guys are even making merino wool. And you're able to provide it at a uh, more affordable price than a lot of other companies are. So that's that's definitely one thing that translated right away. Let me ask you this: What are your guys' thoughts on merino wool? I've talked to so many deer hunters, and I, and I kind of, I'm kind of asking a you know one side question, or, or maybe that's the wrong analogy. But uh, deer hunter, deer hunters I've talked to are not fans of merino. Are you guys? What are you guys' thoughts on merino? Yeah, I've been using it for about uh, the last two or three seasons, and uh, so far, so good. I I like the feel of it against my skin. I like the uh, flexibility, the uh, the way it moves with you. And uh, the, the one thing I don't like is the smell. It seems like no matter how many times I wash it, I can't get it not to smell like a, mm-hmm. a sheet. But other than that, uh, it, it insulates well. It's light. It dries fast. Uh, so far, so good. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that, Brian. When I first washed my merino base layer, I, I noticed that smell, but I let it dry outside for, uh, you know. I it takes it was, a couple hours to dry. Yeah, I mean, I left it out there for like two days before the weekend, and then I, I wore it all weekend this past weekend, and I didn't smell that same smell as when it was wet. So that was, right. that, that was right. nice. And, I mean, I've never worn it before, guys. I haven't. I've I've worn Cabela's brand base layers. I've worn I don't know some cheap you know long underwear or whatever. Um, I wore it all weekend, and I thought it was very comfortable. I love the the thumb holes in the sleeves and and the it, it, I didn't even notice I had it on. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, I w- I still got a little chilly at some point, but I get chilly all the time, no matter what. So I still have to figure out what my problem is. But <laughs> I. Uh, I enjoyed it. No problem with it. So uh, the cool thing about merino is that the, because it's natural fibers, it comes from a merino sheep in uh, Australia or that in that neck of the woods. And um, because of the merino, it's a natural fiber, meaning it comes from an animal. And those natural fibers uh, regulate your temperature like an animal, like an animal, like a dog when it runs around. It doesn't get too hot. It doesn't overheat, overheat, uh, but it also doesn't get too cold because it's got to keep itself warm. It's all about regulating temperatures, not to the extremes one way or okay. the other. Okay, gotcha. 
And so those natural fibers have the same property. So it's not going to keep you super warm, but it's not going to let you get you super cold. And that same note, it's also going to have natural uh, odor reduction properties like, you know, animals just don't smell. Uh, it's going to, you know, the odor of bacteria doesn't stick to natural fibers the same way that a synthetic fiber would. Uh, the one downside to those garments or to a merino or natural fiber garment, it does take a while to dry. Uh, it is naturally a moisture wicking, so it's going to pull moisture away from your skin, but it's not going to release it. And so it's going to hold in the fabric. Okay. And so when it does that, it's going to get, it's going to become heavier um, than a traditional. So like if you, if you were to walk around and sweat in a traditional synthetic or what you would think would come out of like an Under Armour sport athletic wear, it's going to pull the, the moisture away from your skin, but it's going to release it out. Whereas the merino holds on to it, and so it's going to be a heavier garment. So that's why it takes longer to dry. Um, that's why it kind of has that that wet dog smell when it gets wet. Uh, it's the same exact properties. Yeah, that's. I think that's what what Brian and I were were noticing. But once it dried, honestly, I I didn't notice it. So it, why you mentioned other white tail hunters or a lot of white tail hunters don't like using it? Is, is that the reason why, or were there any other reasons? I'm just so, uh, I'm just so new to the so technology I'm, I'm been, learning. So so the guys I've talked to and what we're adding around in our minds is uh, white tail guys love to wash their clothes and scent free stuff. Right. Um, I do it, but like merinos, those types of fibers, it takes a while to wash it. You're not encouraged to wash it as much, uh, and so they're more inclined. The guys I talk to want to use more of a synthetic fiber. Uh, and wash it more. So like a synthetic fiber, you pretty much has to wash it. If you sweat it out, you're like, you got to wash it. Where's that merino shirt? You can technically, I've worn mine for like a week or two on end, and it doesn't smell. Wow. Don't tell my wife that, but uh, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's the kind of thing that you can wear for a week, and it's, you're not going to get, you're not going to smell out of it. Um, but for a synthetic fiber, it, it's going to translate into, you might have to wash it a little bit more, but you're going to get more scent-free properties out of it, and you're and you're not going to damage the fiber as much. Um, and it allows for more moisture wicking, more you know, less self-temperature regulating, more just pure warmth. They don't really care to stay constant. They just when they walk to a stand, they want to stay warm, and that's it. They don't really care. If they're going to sweat it out, like the, the temperature, you know, you'll sweat it out and you'll move on. That's, it, they don't need the high-end merino aspect. They'd rather save 20 bucks per garment, wash it more regularly, use their scent-free properties, and have um, that type of garment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, sure. We're actually working on a, a base layer right now that is uh, – was the best way the fabric is so close to what is a traditional sweat paint fabric okay. uh, but it's I hate to say that I, if I were to tell you when you felt this fabric it's probably the thickness of a tissue paper maybe oh wow uh, but it is it is the exact same fabric property everything is a sweat paint it's just not thick oh wow uh, 
And so it's very, very uh, soft. It's got super stretch properties to it. But it is a synthetic fiber. And uh, the folks that were the mill that we found, if it's working with, they found ways to infuse it with certain uh, rare earth minerals that actually warm you. And so this isn't the type of thing that you would wear in the summertime because it's going to always keep you warmer. But for in the cooler seasons when it's cold out, it's a very, very lightweight garment, very comfortable, uh, has the same exact feel as like a sweatpant or sweatshirt, um, but probably cut the fraction of the weight of the fabric into a third, a quarter, or even an eighth. And then um, it's going to keep you warmer. And so then it'll sit underneath the base layer. And so what we're trying to do is, you know, you wear the base layer pant. You're able to use the ventilations. You can you can saddle up for the most part when you walk to the stand and you're good to go. Uh, I'm not a stand. Some guys are, but I hate bringing a bunch of stuff in. I'm already bringing, like, a camera. I'm already bringing in a, a bunch of stuff. I don't sure. need to have the, the – a jacket strapped onto the side, a vest, and, you know. And so I'd rather be suited and booted, ready to go. I'll drop the vents if I need to and, you know, the side vents on our garments so that we can dump the heat if it needs, if you build up. But once you get there, you're good. Uh, you're not trying to, like, I've almost fallen out of the deer stand trying to put on a jacket and things snag, and it just somehow doesn't fit, and the sleeves bunch up in your arms. It just... Nothing upsets me more. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, uh, I noticed that right away on the uh, soft shell system that we got. I, I really like those uh, vents on the underarms of the jacket and also on the side legs of the pants. That's that's really convenient to get those opened up and cool off. And it just it's easier, um, at least from our point of view, it's easier. Then if it didn't happen, then you gotta you throw the you know the jacket on the side or around your waist. Um, it just seems it's a more simpler system in our minds, uh, and so we're just trying to find ways to keep it simpler, easier. Um, one thing we are working into that jacket and uh, is a, a I don't know if you wear a safety harness or not, but we are working into a hole to allow your safety harness to go through the jacket. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, are you guys doing anything with any scent control or scent control regimen or to any of your products? I know here in Michigan and uh, you know Brian in Pennsylvania, we're we're hunting some of the most pressured deer in the world, unfortunately. Um, and while that being said, it's ups our our challenge, and, and we have to go through maybe some extra steps that I didn't have to go through when I hunted Illinois or or whatever, but. Like, what are you guys doing for the guys who care about being scent-free and uh, and trying to be stealthy as possible? This is the, the soft-shell uh, fabric that's on the Phantom Series is actually uh, already been treated with some odor reduction properties. Uh, but it also, I always recommend doing the sprays. Uh, I use, I want to say, the Code Blue sprays, if I remember correctly. Okay. Uh, I always encourage that. Uh, and then I'm also a huge believer. Uh, we actually went from my healthcare days. We use this in the OR. I don't know if, if you're familiar with how, like, the Ozonics, the ozone treatments, and I that, it how that came about. Every but that, that literally came out of the OR. Okay. Uh, because uh, the 
I think it's the founders of Zionists. I'm fairly certain they're doctors. I uh, could be totally misquoting this, but I'm fairly certain they're doctors, and I believe they pulled it from uh, when you're working on bodies and they, there's foul odors coming out of the OR from a patient or whatever, they will they will drop ozone uh, to neutralize the bacterial smell. And so um, I'm a believer. I don't bring – I don't have an ozonics machine, but I definitely have a, like a closet-type setup with an ozone machine that, that gets my clothes and kills the bacteria. One thing we are working on in the future is um, there are certain yarns out there that are more scent-related that uh, are scent-reducing naturally. And so I'm trying to pull together – you're going to kind of probably gather and probably laugh at me, but I'm an old-school tech guy. I really want a one-piece. Um, that for the early season, that is a very lightweight, uh, soft shell, but not as heavy as the type banner, but a soft, uh, soft, lightweight shell type material that, uh, could function as a one piece type suit that allows for the guys that are, you know, coming off work or whatever, and they don't have time to run back to their house that they can literally throw on over professional attire or whatever they're wearing or just go next to skin and have a one-piece type camouflage suit that allows them to get to the woods quickly that afternoon or that morning and then take that off kind of like, you know, I was it James Vaughn or something like that. <laughs> they take it off and they're going to work that day and no one knows that they were in the woods that morning. They killed something. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that. I actually used to do that after work. I I'd, I'd had to work till 5. I'd buzz over to the state land by my apartment and actually got pulled over going home that night. And uh, I had my my dress clothes on still because I just threw my camo over that. <laughs> the guy was like, where are you coming from? I'm like, I was just hunting the state ground, you know, a mile up the road. He's like, in that? I'm like, uh, yes, sir, I came straight from work, you know. And he, he couldn't believe it. He's like, oh. And he you know, looked around in my car, saw the bow, saw everything else. And, and So that's interesting because there are plenty of people, I'm sure, who – I mean, just want to throw some cam on and go hunt where, you know, the opposite end is, you know, your clothes and totes, Ozonics running, Zeolite, that whole program, which mm. I'm part of now. But it's, it's uh, that's an interesting. I don't think anybody has a one-piece early season out there. I know my dad still hunts one-piece late season garments, and I think that regulates heat and keeps heat trapped in better than what I'm wearing out late season. He's worn the same system for years. It never gets cold. I think you're on yep. something with that. It's got to it's got to be all encompassing. It's got to be well, at least have water uh reduction so it's not like DWR durable water resistant. It's got to have scent free. It's got to be next to skin comfort. Uh it's also got to be I was going to say you got to be able to roll it up into something. It can't just be like this mega garment, but it's also got to be Really lightweight and comfortable, um, but somewhat it can't be fitted. It's got to be bigger because I feel like it's got to fit over stuff potentially. Um, but it, if it's if it's lightweight, breathable, wind reduction, uh, has scent free and water resistance, all that stuff, I just feel like you can't go wrong. Uh, at, at, the, at the end of all worst, worst case scenario I get a really cool one piece and I have a lot of them to give away <laughs> <laughs> and no one ever wants to buy them hey I, I know uh, 
one piece rompers are coming back into style. I know I know my wife's got a couple of those and whatnot. So hey, it could be the next big thing. Yeah. You know. Um it earlier you mentioned the difference, you know, between out west hunters and a lot of us Midwest white tailors. What's different about how you're approaching your gear or building your gear, uh for you know us majority whitetail hunters versus the out west guys, like what are you doing specifically? Uh, I think right now um, we have we've now totally succumbed to the Grant Woods philosophy in our our farm here in Tennessee. Uh, it's a year round activity. Uh, we're we're firm believers in that we almost we do the buffalo system. If you, for all the people that know the Grant Woods world, um, where we have soybeans in the spring. In summer, and then we're, we're planting into his buffalo blend in the summertime. Uh, the eagle seed stuff, which, by the way, I'm not. I'm going to give a shout out to eagle seed. We've we've gone. We've tested different varieties of seed blends out there. We went with a co-op blend. We you know tried it all. They've got an awesome system going. They got great seed. I can't say enough about them. We actually went and did. We tried to experiment to see what was the lowest cost. Uh, with the most effectiveness, and we ended up landing on Eagle Seed versus our co-op blends that we did. Nice. Um, okay. But, Good to know. But it's a it's a year-round thing. You got to commit to it. And uh, and I'm not not to say that the West Coast guys, the Western out uh, those type hunters, is not a year-round thing. But I just don't see them doing the food plots as much as kind of the guys that are in the Midwest. Um, they're more probably geared to land scouting, finding corridors, those types of things. I do know that a lot of the public lands that they have access to, some of the, uh, the DNR type folks will plant food plots for them, but it's far and few. Um, and so we're we're into the food plots. We're into getting the deer management, uh, the ratios right. I mean, when you're a landowner, a private landowner, or you're leasing land and you're acting like a private landowner. You're invested in this. Uh, you feel an obligation to take care of your land. Um, I don't. I know that they. I, I don't want to say that public landowners, the people that use it, don't have the same sense. But I just know that for the most part, if you own land, you're heavily invested in that land, uh, and you want to see the land that you own come to fruition and see it be successful. You want to see the buck to doe ratios balanced out thriving you want to go to the land and you sit in a deer stand on land that you own and you see a ton of deer out there it's just a great feeling uh and when you kill your deer on your land it's just it's a it's a it's just an awesome experience and when you've worked all summer all year for multiple years year on end uh or watch your kid kill you kill their first deer on the land that you've been working for the last 10 years it's just an awesome feeling uh, and something that you can pass on to them, pass on to the next generation. Um, it's just, yeah. it's just, it's a, it's a great experience. Yeah, there's, I mean, I've only killed, I think, one deer on on my 15, uh, an eight point with a couple extra kicker points and whatnot. And that, yeah, like you said, it's the most rewarding thing in the world, let alone growing food plots and and having a successful planting season and all that stuff. Um, is there anything about the gear in particular that would make it more, I don't know, more 
more relatable to a tree stand sitting type guy versus those Western guys who are hiking all over the place? I mean, honestly, we do a little bit so of hiking our, and whatnot, but a lot of it's tree stand sitting, right? It's all tree stand. So our pattern is geared towards the tree stand hunter. Uh, and so it's a breakout pattern when you look at the sky and you sit up in that tree stand, you're not going to get skylighted. Um, it is totally designed for tree stand hunters. Um, as we start expanding our lineup, I'm not going to tell you to wear a camouflage suit in a redneck blind or a traditional blind. That's not effective. Right. Uh, you got to be more to somewhat color, uh, black, brown, green type frame. That's the better route. Uh, to be successful in hunting in that uh, in that atmosphere, that environment, that setup. For the tree stand hunters, the ground hunters, uh, the best avenue for deer hunting is to have a camouflage suit, breakup pattern. And that was one thing that tracked us to sleep because I felt like our, the market in general for camouflage has geared so astray. It almost kind of blows my mind. Uh, where it's come now and there there's some awesome stuff being put out there like from a visual perspective Realtree is now taken i remember when Realtree way back in the day when bill jordan was walking around a pond you know doing the on monster buck series shooting his bow with david blant and michael waddell i have that video william i have that video here for the year yes the vhs right <laughs> yeah, i have it yep i have it <laughs> oh the good old days those were the good old days and so and to see where they've come, it's awesome. Uh, but for us as deer hunters and us as a brand, uh, the sticks and leaves of the world, I say, has matured to an area where I'm surprised that it's so dark and it's so realistic looking. But in the general aspect of from a deer's vision, is a very dark garment. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they look at you, they're going to see a dark object upon lights and darks. Or shades of, you know, I'm not going to say that they're black and, you know, seeing, that they see in black and white, but they see shades. And we can debate like, how deer see, but they don't see like we see it. And they focus more on the macro uh, colors of the palette versus the micro colors. And so they're not going to notice what, how visually attractive that leaf is on your shirt. They're going to see a dark object uh, contrasting with the lighter and darker objects all around it. And so we feel that our pattern is very much geared towards, let's break that out. You need to have just as much whites as darks uh, for you to be successful, even when you're in a deer stand. I mean, in, in, in the late season when all the leaves drop off and you're sitting up in a tree stand, you're looking at skylight. And so you got to find ways to compete with the lights around you and how you can blend into the entire atmosphere. So when a deer looks up and looks all around, one, you don't get skyline, but also that you blend into the, all the contrasting colors and objects around you. Yeah, I think that's a, a good answer. I think your camel pattern is awesome. Uh, I have used a couple of different patterns that are look I don't know, vaguely similar in the past. And I'll tell you what, I used this pattern this weekend and had deer staring up in the tree. Did not get picked off. Now... My buddy, Kyle, hunts with the old scent lock. It was, like, I think a vertigo, which is, like, a... a you would think it's almost like a snow camo, but it's, it's it's what you're explaining, right? It's that... They don't even make it anymore. It's that more lights than darks. And mm-hmm. he swears by that stuff. And that's what really 
kind of opened my eyes a few years back when he said that, and then I saw yours, I'm like, oh, baby, this is going to work out good in terms of, like you said, when you look up, you're seeing light versus a big black blob on the side of a gray tree or a, or a dark brown blob. I mean, obviously, camouflage, real tree, it works. Moss field, their stuff works. It wouldn't be making it if it didn't. But I do like this this aspect of it to where you're looking up and seeing light lighter objects versus the darks. I think that makes perfect sense to me. We are working, uh, just uh, FYI, we've gotten, as we've kind of grown the brand and taken it more further south, um, southern hunters are more apt to want a greener palette. Okay. And so, so we are working on a similar pattern that has the same properties as our deadfall camo, the browns and the tans and the whites with greens. And so yeah. it can function as an early season type garment that allows you to blend in well for the early season with the greener, the greener leaves and the greener uh, vegetation in the area. And we'll actually, don't quote me on this, even though I'm going on the record here, not tested, not done it, but I will this spring is to test it out for turkey honey because I think it'll work better. Whereas the browns, if you're hunting and it's greener out, turkeys have a totally different eye palette. Not going to discuss, but uh, I think it might be effective. But I got to test it first. You have to do it. No, I think uh, I mean, don't you, you guys hold on to your greenery a little bit longer down there, anyways? I mean, does, do. does that make sense to where? At least in Georgia, Florida, Alabama. Um, we're trying to – there's a huge market out there for folks that have never been really catered to, which is, you know, almost green the entire season. Rains almost every day. Uh, the the season is much different than what we think of deer season. I mean, right. since you're in Florida, going to run in July. Yeah, that's it's insane. Just, it's just crazy. But – no one's ever catered to them. And if you're a deer hunter, you know, for me, I want to build the best product and make every deer hunter successful. And if I can find a way to get more deer hunters coming to coming into the, into the game, so to speak, why not? Yeah, and I think, like you said, turkey, that'll be the real test right there. Their eyesight's amazing, so. We'll see. So... I want to be respectful respectful of your time here, William. Is there anything you want to cover about uh, Delete as a company, as a brand, and, and where you guys are, are headed over the next year or so that we can touch on? And I'll just say, I'll just and you know, be respectful of your time as well. Thanks, guys, for having me on here. I've had a lot of fun uh, getting to know you guys and talking to you guys. But, you know, we're just starting off. Uh, I always said the crawl, walk, run. We're still crawling. Um, and we're doing, we're going to be coming out with a lot of new stuff. Cool. Uh, and we're going to be bringing in some really new cool stuff from other properties or other areas. And so we're pulling in designs and fabrics and, uh, use cases that are totally foreign to most people. And so I'm actually pulling in some fabrics from like the cycling world and that are, like, the most lightweight, uh, stretchy, uh, comfortable fabrics that are totally waterproof. We're not talking, like, water-resistant DWR. We're talking waterproof membrane fabrics that are, like, the size, like, the weight of your T-shirt. Wow. Because 
they have, I mean, if you're looking at folks that are doing the Tour de France type stuff, they have to have the most lightweight. Weight matters to them, but also they need to have waterproofness, everything, so when they're right, you know, they can't stop because it's raining. And so, but there's fabrics out there that in their use cases are totally applicable to our world. Um, let's find ways to bring that in. And so we're come, we're, we're, we're scavenging everywhere and everywhere, anywhere, some really cool fabrics, some really cool designs uh, to bring to market some just outstanding stuff that hopefully uh, bodes well for deer hunters. And again, like I always said, like I started off with, it's got to fit in that budget. So we're finding ways to keep costs low, uh, to keep it within the deer hunters budget within their world. And so if we can bring cool stuff to market that makes deer hunters more successful or can make it more amenable for new hunters to learn how to hunt. They're like, Hey, this is cool stuff. I fit into this. I feel comfortable. I feel like I'm going to be successful. They're more likely to go hunting again. And so let's bring cool stuff to market that works for them, uh, makes existing deer hunters more successful, and we just have a better route. We just, we're having fun doing this. Why not? Uh, so check us out on fleet.com. That's our website. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Fleet Camo. And um, just kind of be patient with us as we start to crawl, walk, run here. But, you know, you're going to see some new stuff coming out that's going to be really cool and exciting. Awesome. Awesome. Way, way to wrap that for us. That was great. And how do you spell delete.com just so we everybody knows how to find you? It is T-H-L-E-T-E. It's athlete without the A, fleet.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch, my friend. Thanks so much. And, you know, good luck for the rest of the season. You too, sir, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks, William. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, William. Take care. Thank you, William, for coming on the line tonight and spending some time with us. And podcast listeners, thank you guys for coming back. We can't do it without you. We love this stuff. Habitat season is here, guys, almost. I'm starting on uh, pretty much January 2nd, so I kill a couple deer still. Uh, but thank you guys. The habitat bug is fired back up in me. doesn't really ever leave during season, but I do focus hard on hunting while it's here. But now... Time to get back in the woods. I already got some uh, thoughts about how I'm going to help my swampy area thicken up a little bit. Nothing's really coming up like I want it to in there. Some Japanese millet, maybe. Um, some red osier dogwood, some willows. Anyways, you get the idea. Habitat is on the mind, and we are back at it hard and fast, guys. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you can, please help support us by uh, you know picking up a hat or decal on HabitatPodcast.com. A 10% discount right now for the code LOYAL10 when you check out for our loyal listeners. And also, uh, if you don't mind, leave us a review on iTunes or the podcast app on your Apple phone. Just search us out, write a review, five stars, and leave your name so I can find you. I'll be happy to send you a free decal. I'm sending out some more tomorrow, so i uh, love to have some great reviews from you guys. And, and really, just thanks for coming on. I want to thank our sponsors. We have the Habitat Hook from Nick Nation. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, the HuntWise app, Packer Max Cultipackers, Killer Food Plots, and 5-2 Outdoors. Guys, check out our sponsors. They help support the show. Uh, you know, it really helps that, that we have some great people behind us, and, and we really want to, you know, direct you guys over to them to help support them too. So 
I personally know every single one of them, and they are great people. Uh, lastly, just check us out wherever you can find the podcast, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you guys want. Check us out. And, uh, you know, HabitatPodcast.com. We have a lot of good episodes coming up, guys. We really, uh, really do have three or four in the books right now that are going to be awesome. So stay tuned as we become better Habitat Managers. Share us with your friends, and we'll be back. Take care.